Hey, Flatirons, welcome. We're so glad you're with us today. We know there are thousands of people around the world who call Flatirons their church home. If that's you, let us know below where you're tuning in from. And also, if today's message was especially impactful, share it with someone you love. Tell them why it meant so much to you. We're stoked you're here. Enjoy the service. I heard a long time ago, if you can't give money when you're broke, you'll never give money when you have money. Right, right after 2008, you know, real estate was rough. I did everything I could to just help the family survive. All of a sudden, you know, I'm looking at bank statements, I'm looking at everything, and I'm stressing out all the time, like just this walking stress bomb. And we're talking about it, and I'm, you know, concerned, and I'm telling her how I'm concerned about, you know, money and, and this and that. And she just looks at me and she says, for someone who loves God so much, you sure don't have a lot of faith. We've gone through so many ups and downs and every time we get through just fine. Like that's not you doing it. That's God doing it. Trust him. But it was so hard to even fathom giving money that we didn't have when everything else felt like it was overtaking your life. So Michael Kane, the CFO of the church, he was running a financial workshop. We were young, so it was really exciting for us because we weren't really making much money, but we had a lot of debt. So we met with Michael and Michael looked at everything. He looked at how much income we have or don't have. He's looking at how much debt we definitely had. And then he asked the question, you know, how much do you tithe? And I'm thinking in my, my mind, like, he, he already knows the answer. He's been looking at all of my finances. I told him, you know, usually I'll take out some money out of my pocket, you know, and get cash in the bucket. And I think because he knew, like, the amount of money I did have and where things were going, you know, he said, oh, so you tip God. You know, to me, I, I remember just staring at him thinking, I can't really talk my way out of this one. And I just said, yeah, that's right. I tip God. Then COVID happened and being in real estate, you never, the market's either really good, it's really bad, or it's flat. Some months you can make good money, some three months go by, maybe you didn't make any money. You really have to kind of balance it out. I wasn't able to really go sell houses for a few months. I just think at some point that fear of everything um, came back and I just quit tithing. From, from COVID till really this year, I just didn't tithe anything. January started off really well in real estate. Uh, and in my mind, I did the right thing. I took out 10% and I moved it over to a different account. And I got on Flatiron's website and I donated $1,000. And then I kept the rest there, right? And in my mind, I'm rationalized at thinking, well, what I'll do is I'll just give $1,000 every month. And I have three months worth, we'll say, right? And so I give the thousand bucks and I'm all excited. And I'm thinking I'm doing a, a great job. Like Adam, it's, it's not your money, it's God's money. And I kept saying it's my money. And I'm driving home from the gym and I pulled over on the side of the road and I just started talking to God and I, I was like, God, I'm sorry. I'm holding your money kind of hostage as a just in case next month is not great. And God knows, cause I've done it many times and I knew I'd use that money. Why, why do I not have the ability just to give it all and say, I trust God? If we look at it as this is God's money, we can't wait until I get a closing and have a paycheck to give that money first. 
it feels good. Like I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. The next day we, we scheduled a time for us to sit down and just kind of reevaluate everything. Let's look at our money. Let's look at our stuff. Let's look at how the time that we're spending or not spending with our children, everything. We started getting rid of subscriptions we didn't need anymore. We started figuring out, hey, maybe we don't need this that has a payment. And we really tried to get our cost of living down. Before, I think what I would complain about is say, oh, the cost of living is so high here. It's so high in Colorado now. Everything costs so much money. Once you analyze where you're spending your money, what you're spending your money on, it's your high cost of life that's really the problem. It started with the barn. We're like, we have so much stuff and yet we keep compiling it and adding to it. And so we started going through, I think 60 bins is what we completely eliminated. I'm pretty sure we filled Sister Carmen's and they're gonna name a peak at Erie Landfill after us. But the hardest part of giving it away is just taking your hands off of it, you know, because it's not mine. I, I love that guy. Um, so, that's, so that's Adam. He's, uh, he's, he's my best friend, but also he's my workout partner. So every morning I preach at him and it worked. And uh, look at that. But uh, what a great, great, great guy. Um, hey, uh, I got to tell you up front, I'm fighting a really, really bad cold. So I'm going to drink a lot of water and clear my throat a lot. And y'all will all be in the hospital tomorrow because I'll probably spit on you. Sorry. Uh, but uh, you're, you're saved. It's okay. All right. So anyway, uh, hey, uh, so just apologies in, in advance. All right. So today we're going to wrap up this four-part series called Branded, where we've been using a metaphor, kind of like, just like a calf has a brand on it. And I did my first branding. Anyway, uh, so anyway, uh, it, it, a, a brand signifies I belong to somebody. And we've been asking this, what are the markers that a follower of Jesus, what, what, what do we have on our life that kind of marks us or signifies that we truly belong to Jesus, especially in the area of life that Jesus pointed to as one of, if not the most significant areas that demonstrates in whom and in what a person has put their faith, their hope, their, their trust to take care of them. And that, that every time is money, all right? How we see it, how we use it, how we view it, Right. So I have a lot to cover today, and I'm not going to start with a big review. I'm going to rehit some of the stuff in our in our talk today. But real quick, just like a cowboy lives his or her life by a code, here's what we've been kind of going through the whole month. We we have a code too. It looks kind of like this: we are stewards, not owners. We just take care of God's stuff. First thing we had to keep first things first. You reap what you sow, and then watch out for outlaws. And that's the one I want to look at today. Watch out for outlaws, bandits, thieves, which is a theme of every Western movie or story that I've ever read or seen, especially when it involves like traveling in maybe the cowboy or the, you know, the, 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 the pioneers, they're traveling into a, a new territory, an unfamiliar territory. And as someone, if you just think of all the Westerns, right? Someone's always given the task of standing watch, like, like being on guard, looking for anyone or anything that might wanna steal or kill or attack the herd, the stagecoach, the crop, the family. And here's the thing about outlaws, they don't care who they have to hurt, who they have to destroy to take your stuff and make it their own. That is their goal, to take what you have, all right? Now, here's the thing, all right? This, this watch out for outlaws theme existed way before, you know, cowboys and outlaws ever rode the Wild West or the prairie. Today, I wanna look at a part of our Bible that every one of us, everybody listening to me right now, you've heard of this part of the Bible. You, some of you, you, you've memorized this part of the Bible, even though you've never opened a Bible in your whole life. 
and it's the first time you've ever been in a church or watching on, on, online, all right? I wanna take a new look at a new application of the famous 10 commandments, okay? We all heard of those things, right? right? Um, if you have your Bible with you, you have a Bible app, we're gonna be in Exodus chapter 20. We're gonna be all over the place, but that's gonna kind of anchor us, all right? So as you're looking for that, the other thing is my sermon today has 10 points. So here's the way you take notes. Get a piece of paper inside your Bible. Just go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and you'll walk out of here and you'll just be a Bible scholar. Okay, so, so a, little, a little context while you're finding Exodus 20. The Ten Commandments are not simply a bunch of laws or rules that God gave his people that they had to keep in order for God to love them and provide for them. It's also not a bunch of rules that God gives them in order to punish them or to keep them from experiencing something good he didn't want them to, to, to experience. I heard someone say it this way one time. I don't know who said it, so... I said it this way, right? How about this? The Ten Commandments are not conditional to receive God's love. The Ten Commandments are confirmation that we already have God's love. If he doesn't love us, why does he care what, he, what we do, right? So let me explain. When God gives the people, the, the Jewish people, the Ten Commandments, he's already made them a promise. He's already in a covenant with them. He, I'll be your God and you're my people. That is a done deal. It's unconditional. So that's not what's on the line. So please hear this, because I've already been misquoted online, right? What we're going to talk about today has nothing to do with going to heaven or hell. If you, if you do this with your money, you go to heaven. If you do this with your money, you go to hell. No, we're not even talking about that, okay? That's all based on your relationship with Jesus Christ. But at this point in history, the, the, the Jewish people, they're coming out of a 400-year history of slave thinking. They've been in Egypt as slaves, right? Where they simply obeyed what their masters told them to do. So conforming to whatever culture they were surrounded by, that was their muscle memory. And now they're about to cross into this promised land. It's a new land that they had never seen before. And they will again be surrounded by and experience and confront things, people, cultures, religions, ways of living life that they never seen before. And so God is giving them commandments which will not only provide the best path towards living a blessed, free, abundant life, but will also protect them from being deceived and destroyed by all these new false gods and the inhabitants of these new people who want to steal from them, all right? So look at this, all right? The, ten, the reason God gives these 10 commandments, and time out, anytime God gives us a commandment, any, any law, thou shalt not, or do this, or don't do this, anytime God gives us a commandment, it is to provide for his people and to protect them from being destroyed and enslaved. That's his motivation, because he loves you, right? Now, here's the parallel for many of us today. When it comes to, I want to align my financial life and the way that I steward what God has entrusted to me in a way that lines up with a, a life of gratitude and worship and understanding of what God has done through me, for me through Jesus, all right? For many of us, that feels like moving into a new land. Like, I've never been there before. I've never done life this way. And when we, we go into this new kind of way of doing life, we bring with us all of our past financial baggage and spending muscle memories of the past because that's all we've known. We've lived our life this way for so long. So, if, and what do you mean by all we've known? Slave thinking. A lot of us have put up a white flag and says, I guess my life's always gonna be like this. Like what? Financial stress, crushing debt. That's been my past normal, so for, for some of us, it probably feels similar to those people standing there about to cross that river and go into a new unknown territory. And anytime you try something new, it's always scary because why we want to believe it's true and possible to trust God with our finances, we all want to believe that. We haven't done it yet, and we haven't experienced it. And we haven't seen God work yet. So we're on this side of the river about to move into this, okay? So a while back, I heard a, a pastor. He's down in Texas. His name's Robert Morris, a church called Gateway. Great church. 
He takes the 10 commandments and then he pairs each one of them with a financial principle or truth. So I'm gonna take part of what he taught me a long time ago and I'm gonna pass it on to you. So it's not plagiarism if you give credit to your source. Okay? And I'm gonna give all credit to Pastor Morris down in Texas. He's one of the best teachers on living the blessed, generous life that I've ever studied. So if today helps, he gets all the credit. If it doesn't help, it's probably because I didn't deliver it very well. Get online and listen for yourself. And if you, if you don't like the content, then you can email Jesse DeYoung, all right, because I don't care. All right, so that's my, that's my new cowboy saying today. It's from Clint Eastwood. The older I get, I don't care if you like me. That's my new tattoo. Anyway, so, so, so I have 10 points. So if you have paper or something like that, 10 points, right? Some of this is review. I can't spend a lot of time on them in order to get through all of them. In the middle, I'm gonna slow down and get really intrusive in your life, okay? So here are the 10 financial commandments that pair up with the originals, okay? Commandment number one, put God first. And this goes with uh, the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Again, we don't need to spend a lot of time on this because it goes back to our first couple weeks, all right? While everything belongs to God, God commands us to return to him the first 10% of our income for several reasons, right? What, why, why? Well, here's what it's not. It's not because it's an Old Testament law. I got that email several hundred times, okay? It is an Old Testament law and it doesn't apply to us, all right? But there's an eternal truth that does. We also don't tithe because it, it's something we must do to be saved. So that's not our motivation. Tithing, we talked about this two weeks ago, is a test that both builds and reveals who and what you put your faith in, right? And we also tithe because when God is given first priority, the word we looked at, preeminence, all other things fall into proper perspective and, and, and order. They're all important. They're not equally important. We also tithe because it's an act of worship. We're remembering what God has done through Jesus to set us Free. So that's, that's commandment number one. Let's keep moving, okay? Commandment number two, don't worship material things. And that's from the second commandment. You shall not make for yourself an image or an idol. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. And this is more than just don't worship rocks and sticks, okay? Because those just symbolize an, a God, right? They, they didn't believe this, the rocks or sticks with God. They just symbolized that if they prayed to this thing, the God might do something for them. So here's the question that kind of comes out of that, right? Have you ever looked to something that you could buy or own or experience to tell you your value instead of looking to God? And the flip side of that is when you look at what you have and go, well, that's not very good. And I hate my house. And my, blah, blah, blah. Did that define your value right, instead of God? How about this? Have you ever deprioritized what you knew God wanted you to do in order to prioritize the purchase of something or to go do something that has no lasting value? And how did you justify that? Hey, God, I know that's what you want to do, but I'm going to do this. Where is this now? It's in the trash. Right? And you missed it. Like, how do we do that? Here's one that applies to all of us. Have you, have you ever purchased anything and then regretted it? Yeah, me, me, me too. Okay. So how, how do you safeguard that in the future? And this is what I, I, th I think this command is kind of getting to. How about, how about this? If all things belong to God, that's the first one, right? And I'm, even if you're already tithing, you're living on a budget, all this kind of thing. Here's it. You, you should ask the owner, right? God owns it, right? Should I buy it? Not do I just want it? See, here's the thing about spending money, okay? Um, spending is not always about right or wrong as much as it's about wise or unwise, does it make sense, all right? Like, like, like you, you see something, go, okay, I'd, I'd like to purchase that. All right, given what is most needed now in my life, in my family's life, life all right? What, what, all things are important, but what's most important now at this time? It may, not, it may be different next year, but at this season of our life, would it be wise for me to buy that, right? Now, maybe not, maybe, all right? It's not always right or wrong, 
but I'm gonna consult the owner first and say, is this something I should do, all right? That would keep us out of a lot of trouble. So commandment number three goes like this. Don't use God's name selfishly or for nothing. And the commandment is you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The version of this commandment I grew up with is don't take the Lord's name in vain. Right, we all tell that, right? And which I was told, mean, don't com- combine God's name with a curse word like GD or oh my God. In my house, we weren't allowed to say oh my gosh because it's just a substitute, you know? And so you can't say shoot at my house either. There you go. So anyway, so now here, I, that, that's not what this is about. I don't think we should connect God's name with profanity, but that's not what this commandment is addressing. The commandment can literally be translated this way. Do not carry the name of your Lord, your God, as if it was empty or nothing. And the phrase carrying the, the name of the Lord, or sometimes in the Bible it says the name of the Lord, wherever the name of the Lord, if the name of the Lord is in something or on someone, it meant God was there, God is present. So to me, this commandment is to remember something more than a command to do something or not do something. And it's this, okay? As you walk around in a culture, in, in, in America, where everyone and everything all day long will do their best to conform you into what they want you to be and what they want you to purchase and what they want you to spend your money on, remember this, and this applies to every area of life, but it certainly applies to this one. Please lean into this, okay? You are called to be different than anything and anyone around you. When you go to school, when you go to work, all right, you have a calling on your name. Why? You carry the name of the Lord your God on you and in you, at work, at school, at home, on the ball field, whatever it is. See, God is in you for a reason. You belong to him. And the command is don't, don't walk through life with a kind of take God or leave God attitude when he fits into what I plan to do anyway. Every decision, every dollar comes under the authority of the Lord your God because whatever you do, you bring God into it because his name is on you. Which means this, and this just is a sobering thought, Every financial decision, every decision, but every financial decision that you make is a spiritual decision that either agrees with or disagrees with what God approves because God's in it with you. Does that make sense? Just nod at me. Thank you. All right. Here we go. See, these are easy. These are all easy. Commandment number four, be a good steward. And that comes from this. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Again, we're not gonna spend a lot of time on this. We're gonna get into some stuff here in a minute though. We hit this on week two. There are two main areas of life that we must steward well because they're in very limited supply and you can't get them back. And that would be time and money, right? right? In the kingdom of God, and that's what we're trying to live our lives in, stewardship of both looks like this. Like, I live my life believing that God can accomplish more in six days of labor than I can do in seven. If you don't believe that, read chapters one and two of the Bible. He got a lot done, all right? So, but here's what it means to money. I steward my money... Like, this is how I handle money. Believing that when I prioritize God by bringing in the first 10% tithe, God will bless the remaining 90% more than I could accomplish with 100% if I kept it all for myself. I don't know how God does it, but he, he's proven it in my life. All things belong to God, and he will hold us accountable for how we stewarded what he entrusted to us. Tithing and generosity. Please hear this, because we're not that church, okay? Tithing and generosity are not part of a magic formula that guarantees blessing and your faith will get bigger and your income will get better. We're not that church. Give God a dollar, he'll give you 10. We're not that, right? Because I can't find it in the Bible. I, ha- I do find this. Greed and selfishness are a guarantee that blessing and increased faith will not happen. Jesus said over and over and over that selfishness and greed and not money, but the love of money will be the biggest obstacle to a person entering the kingdom of heaven. And when he told his disciples that, going, well, who can be saved? He says, oh, it's actually impossible without God. But with God, all things are possible. All right, here we go. Next commandment, buckle up. Commandment number five, 
Teach your children. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. We're, we're gonna park here for a while, okay? So if you, if you look at this, this is the only commandment that comes with a promise or a promised outcome when this commandment is actually observed, which is this, if you'll do this, so that you may live long in the land God is giving you. And that's not a guarantee that your kids are gonna live a long time, but the, the kind of life that, that they will live, however long that will be, will be in the land of, or in the promise of, or in the blessing available to them from, from God. So somehow, God is tying together, here's his math, all right? Children and parenting coming together, somehow equating to living the blessed life that God has in mind for that son or daughter. How does that, how's that work? It's very, very simple, okay? Parents are the primary source where children will learn about God and if they can trust him or not, for better or worse. And it's not um, parents should be or parents ought to be or parents are supposed to be or some parents, no, no, no. The way that God set up family is that the most influential person in a child's life when it comes to God, who God is and can I trust God or not, is mom and dad. And children will live out of what they learned about God from their parents, or they will live their entire life trying to overcome what they learned or assumed about God based on what they saw in their parents. Now, this, this is, it's gonna get more, you might wanna leave now, okay? But this, this, is, this is review from week one, all right? But again, look at it. Jesus is talking about, uh, he's teaching about money, and he says, says this, he says, no one can serve two masters. It's impossible, it's impossible, right? For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other, and he just says it. You can't, you can't serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money. And again, that's, we all go, of course not. That's easy to say, but we all know that our children learn most of what they learn from their parents, not by hearing what they say, but by watching what they, they do. And the gut punch for me in this series on week one was when I asked this question for myself and then I made you answer it is this, have I taught my children to despise or hate or not trust God and put their trust in something else to take care of them in their times of need? And none of us do that on purpose. I didn't think that's what I was doing, but right. But how about this? When I'm ranting and I'm raving and I'm stressing out about how we gotta get some more money and we're so much trouble and the only way we're gonna get out of this is if we get some more money, that's the only thing that's gonna fix our problem. We are teaching our children something. They're watching, they're listening. When we worry and stress about money, what are we teaching our kids about trusting God? What are our choices and our behaviors all through the week teach our kids about God? Here we go. When we choose hobbies and sports leagues, knowing they will displace attending church and student ministries, what are we teaching is more important? Let me paraphrase Jesus. You cannot serve both God and hobbies and sports, and your calendar and your bank statement will reveal what's most worshiped at your house. Okay, but we're gonna buckle up. I'm gonna start preaching now. Here we go, right? I'd like to address a statement that I've heard a lot. It goes like this. Sports build character. I call BS. Sports are neutral, right? Look at this. The word of God being actively applied by the Holy Spirit under the guidance and example of parents making wise choices that ensure that their child is in the best environment for exposure to God's word, that is what builds character, Okay, listen, I'm not anti-sports. I love sports, right? I love hobbies. I got a bunch of them. I love hunting birds with my dogs. My dogs are expensive. Training is expensive. Getting in a truck and going somewhere, it's all expensive. I'm all for paying the high prices for what those things cost, all right? Because we, we just enjoy them, all right? As long as it is wisely taken from the 90% after God has been prioritized with the tithe, which I've talked to a bunch of uh, parents, you know, it's very, very rare because honestly, one of the reasons that there's no money left in your budget for tithing is because it's all been prioritized and committed to hobbies and sports. 
but I have yet to find or meet or counsel. I've been doing this 39 years, all right? A long time, all right? I have yet to meet the person who sat in my office and says, maybe I wouldn't have had the affair. Maybe I wouldn't have gotten divorced. Maybe I wouldn't have gotten addicted. Maybe I wouldn't have lost my family, whatever. If I just skied more weekends, if I played more soccer, traveled more weekends with my elite baseball, softball, volleyball, hockey team, I had a better gaming system in my bedroom growing up. Maybe then my life wouldn't have fallen apart. I got a, I got a closet full of dusty trophies, right? I have lost count of the number of people who said, yeah, I've got trophies all over the place, but my life hit a wall and I'm lost and I have no idea who God is or what God says or what I'm supposed to do next, okay? Listen, hey parents, just ask me, all right? Maybe it's because we have set our kids up to live their life out of the lyrics of a jelly roll song, right? I only talk to God when I need a favor. I only pray when I ain't got a prayer. It's a great song, anyway, right? right? But it's a horrible way to live your life. Because other than, other than crisis, God takes a backseat to everything else on your things to do list until you need him. And then you throw a Hail Mary pass and hope God swoops in and saves the day. The problem is, all right, at that point, when you call on God, when you need him, when stuff in your life just hits the fan and you call on God, they're calling on a God who's a stranger. I don't even know how to talk to God, right? Because we've taught our children that God is a good backup plan B, so keep him in your back pocket until you need him to fix something or bail you out when your plan A hits a bump or falls apart. There comes a point in all people's lives, right, including our children, where they have to take responsibility for their choices and their actions, and they can't look back and go, well, it's all my parents' fault, or if I had better dad, or if I had a better mom, blah, 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 blah right? Listen, but the truth is, okay, the number one responsibility of a parent, at least while they're under your roof, all right, is not to make your child happy all the time or give them all the things that we never had. The number one charge to every parent from God, to paraphrase, you know, Paul, he says it this way, bring up your children in the Lord so that they know who God is and put God first in their life. And if you substitute anything else in that first things first position, no matter how, how important it feels, no matter how urgent it feels in the moment, no matter what the rest of the school or all their friends are doing, what other families are doing, no matter of, hey Jim, that's just the way it is today. Listen, no, no matter how much your child has their heart set on it or stomps or shout or cries and demands, I want it, all right? If God is not kept in the first things first position, you're only setting your child up to eventually hit a no-win, dead-end wall of frustration and exasperation. Children want what they want because they're children. Our role as parents is, but what do they need? I'm trying to prepare my child for life when I'm not here in an unknown future. What have I set them up to do? So the commandment, number five, teach your children, which is true no matter what. The question we have to ask ourselves, what is it that we're actually teaching our children is the most important? And what needs to change? Okay, we're gonna move on there, okay? It's really quiet in here. Okay, so. Um, commandment number six, live on a budget. And this is, I connected this, you shall not murder. I can explain. <laughs> Again. Now, this is stress, I get it, right, right? Until you realize that when you, when you live your life without a budget, you're killing yourself. And when you start living on a budget, you wanna kill someone, okay, right? So, listen, listen a, a budget, right? This is, the, this is the most practical thing you ever heard in church, okay? A budget is simply a tool, right? An agreement that helps you make decisions without emotion in the moment. A budget is a map to take you to a place you wanna go, financial health, that you won't get to on accident, a budget allows someone else to be the bad guy instead of one of you having to always be the financial gatekeeper or the downer or the bad cop who has to be the heavy all, you, all the time. And you know who that is in your, in your house, all right? 
See, now you have someone to blame. It's the budget. Look, babe, I love you. All right, if I, to me, I would go buy it for you right now. It's that dang budget, right, right? He says no, right? Yeah, so years ago, all right, here's my story. And some of you know this story, and some of you are gonna probably go, we need another church, right? So several years ago, uh, Rob and I made the decision to begin becoming better stewards of our finances. And that's a nice, cleaned-up church way of saying, when Robin and I decided to stop being disobedient to God in our finances and how we were stewarding them, um, well, it all kind of came about, I, 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 kind of a, a bunch of things came about, all right? So the, probably the straw that broke the, the camel's back and got our attention, several things. First of all, my, my daughter, Allie, was, was almost through college uh, back in Tennessee. She had one semester left to finish, and so I did what I've done all the other semesters. I call up Nelnet, the college loan provider, to get another loan, and I'm driving down Highway 7 in Erie, and I'm talking to the loan officer, and the loan officer says, hold on, and comes back and says, I'm sorry, Mr. Bergen, but, but you've reached the limit, we cannot loan you any more money. You're tapped out. And I'm like, but that can't be. Like, I'm, I'm sorry, all right? So I hang up and I'm driving down the highway and I'm in a panic because I don't have the money to, to pay for her last semester of school. And I'm not about to call Allie on the phone and say, you gotta come home and maybe you can finish your degree later in life. And so here's what I did. I panicked. I, I drove, I, did, I turned and I went towards my house. I got, went in my house. I dug through a drawer. I found an old Discover card. I activated it. I drove to the bank. I got a $9,000 cash advance at 33% interest. And that's how I paid don't, do not moan at me. It's so judgmental. It's like, send me going, I, I did that twice. Like, Good for you, all right, right. That's how I paid for her last semester of school. At the same time, Flatirons is about to launch a building campaign so we can move out of the Jack store across from where I'm standing right now where we were doing six packed out services every weekend. And I was gonna stand on that stage and challenge our church community to rearrange their finances and give towards this building so more lost and broken people could experience the awesome life of, of Christ. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about all that, how I'm upside down financially and how I'm about to ask the church to do something that honestly their pastor wasn't even doing, all right? So one night we're at home in Erie and I'm, and I'm watching TV with Robin and I, and I just, I don't know, we're just watching TV and I said, hey, hey, babe, you know, I was thinking we need to get back to tithing. And then I just, I went back to the show and it's like a record scratch. And I think she even turned it off. She's like, what, what? What do you mean get back to tithing? I went, never mind. I'm kidding. Let's watch, you all right? And, uh, that was an awkward moment right there. See, see, Robin had trusted me because I told her she could. She assumed that as the spiritual leader of our home, I was keeping things, first things first, and I wasn't. And I didn't even, at that point, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what, where, where to start. So I, I, I made an appointment with Michael Kane, the, the CFO of Flatirons, who technically, I'm his boss. And I walked into his office, all right, and said, I'm a mess, and with no judgment, with no shame, with no lecture, with no, and you're my leader? He said, okay, let's see what we got. And I literally dumped out a box full of bills and payment books and credit card statements, and we sorted through them, and we took inventory, and it took a while, and I had $155,000 in, 20, in 27 school loans and four or five credit cards, um, and just some other junk, I didn't even know what it was, but... And the 155,000 did not include the mortgage I had on my house in Erie or the mortgage on my house back in Kentucky that wouldn't sell for another five years because of, of the housing crash. I was doing two mortgages at the same time. That, that was a hard meeting. <laughs> that meeting with Michael led to a couple things. First of all, I immediately met with my elders, my overseas here, right? And then I went to stage the next weekend and I confessed to the church, I'm a financial mess and I have not been leading in the manner that the leader that, that, that you deserve ought to lead. 
But I'm not, I'm, I've met with my, uh, my authority. I, I, I have a plan. I'm under accountability. And I give you my word, if this doesn't change by a certain date, I will resign as pastor of Flatirons because I am disqualified from leadership. The second thing that came out of that, that meeting um, was a, a budget where Michael took me through several of the Dave Ramsey financial peace principles. We'll come back to that. Robin, we created a, a budget which included tithing and debt payoff, and a budget with Robin and I both, you know, crafted and, and committed to and said, we will do that. And that sounds great, okay? It sounds great until something comes up that you didn't see coming. And, and in the moment, it's not in the budget, right? And for the record, how about this? If you met with Michael, he won't have to do this. I gave Michael access to all my bank accounts, all my PIN numbers. He saw every dollar that we spent and what we spent it on. And I remember getting an email from Michael one day going, what did Robin spend $200 on hair products at a salon? And I was like, I don't know, Robin. I threw her under the bus. All right, See what I'm working with, Michael? Right, right, right. Uh, I look at Robin, and he goes, well, who does he think he, I'm, I'm cleaning it up, right? Like, he doesn't understand what it costs, and what's he doing sticking his nose in our business? And in my house, Michael's title changed from CFO to SOB, that, right, my house. <laughs> and I was like, babe, I'm with you. I hate him too, I do, all right? But, but I didn't, I didn't, and neither did Robin, but it's hard. I don't care how much you pray about it, and you know, God's in this, all right? It's hard. It's very, very, very difficult. But the day that we walked out of that office with the budget, you know what changed? And the answer is not our debt, not that day. On that day, we still owed the same amount that we owed when Nelnick said, you are tapped out, all right? The only thing that had changed was we had a plan and a map, which led to the other thing that changed, and we finally had some peace. And for the next six or seven years, not the next six or seven days, and then God blessed us, and we got to check it. No, 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 no. We, we hammered it. We raised our giving, and we went to war on our debt. Until today, other than our house, we have no debt, and we're able to help and bless some other people in, in our family, in this church across the world, up and above our tithe. Here's my point, okay? When you're lost and broken, in any area of life, but this one, all right? And we were lost and broken. You have to stop and ask for help. You gotta ask for direction, all right? And we needed help. And the biggest obstacle, at least for me, for asking anybody to help me was embarrassment and shame. But we risk it, and here's what we got. We got nothing but grace and wisdom. And we walked away with a plan to get out of debt and a plan to not repeat the same mistakes that we made in the past that landed us here. Now, let me say this. If any of that connected with you, please, 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 sign up for Financial Peace University. If that one fills up, we'll do another one, all right? Go through the website. There's a whole page of resources. Read this, attend this, get involved in, in this, in something, okay? And, and if, if you're like me, okay, I, I know the conversation's going on in your head, and you're sitting here right now going, feeling fear and shame and embarrassment because the people around you, your own family doesn't know how bad your financial situation is, right? And, and, it, and it got this way on your watch, Listen, okay, lean in, okay. I don't want anybody walking out here with condemnation shame, right? I'm not saying that it's all your fault. You probably, I've heard some of the stories. You got hit with a medical bill. You got hit with a, you know, a repair bill. Something broke, something this, something that. And it, 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 it hit your life going, that wasn't in the budget. Now we've got a deductible that we don't know how we're gonna, right? I get it, right, right. So it's not all your fault. You didn't see it coming. But here's the, here's the reality. Here's the truth. Okay, it's gonna sound really brutal at first, but you gotta cowboy up. And here's what I mean by that. Even if it's not all your fault, it is your responsibility to do what needs to be done to move your life, to move your family back towards where both you and God want you to live. No one else is gonna do it for you, right? Where does God want you to live? In joy, in peace, in blessing.
okay? Not all your fault. You don't have to defend that. Who's gonna lead your family out of it, okay? Take a breath. All right, commandment number seven. There's one more really bad one, okay? Um, live below your means, and this one's, you shall not commit adultery. And I can explain, okay? When a person commits adultery, what they're doing is they're stepping outside of God's provision for their life. Marriage, and when somebody says, I want something else, they have an affair, right? The, the reason that a person would do that is because they've become discontent with what they have, and they just want something outside of what they have, all right? How does that apply to finances? When you buy things that you cannot afford, you are living your life outside of what God has provided for you. When you buy things that you can't afford, you're shaking your fist at God and saying, I'm not content with what you've provided for me, so I'm gonna take matters into my own hands and I'm gonna do it my way. And, and we tell ourselves the things, things we're rationalizing when we're about to ha have an affair, right? Like, like if I only had that, if, if it was only different, if I only had him or her, if I just could do this, if, if we had, drove a better car, if we had more square feet, then I'd say, I'm, I'm, okay, now I'm finally happy and I'm content and that's enough and that'll fix our problem. And so here's what you do. I've done it, right? You buy it, and before you make the first payment, before you drive it home, you realize that didn't help, and nothing changed, and I'm still not content, but I now have a new payment, and I'm continuing to the, the cycle of living beyond my means in stress and anxiety to keep up with and pay for things that I can't afford because I haven't addressed the real underlying problem, what it will take for me to actually become content, and it can't be found at a store or online. Paul says, I have learned the secret to being content. Christ is enough, and he learned it a hard way. I had a lot, I had nothing. I've been, I've been good, I've, been, I've starved, I've, 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 I've had plenty. And here's where I landed. The secret of contentment is Christ is with me, right? So that's the first reason is that, is that, that we live beyond our means. The second one is very, very simple. And this one's, this one's just, you know, look at this. Because the math doesn't add up, Right? Jesus tells a great parable, which illustrates why bad math keeps screwing up our lives. All right, look at this, Luke 14. He says this, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. So you're gonna do something, build something, a house, I don't care, right? Won't you first sit down and estimate or count the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. This is gonna sound so elementary and a lot of us going like, well, everybody knows that. Okay, it doesn't change what we're doing, right? But here it is, okay? This is, this is so, this, this should be in the Bible. I'm gonna write it in my Bible. It goes like this, right? If I spend more money than I make, I will go in debt. <laughs> Said Solomon, all right? Yeah, so you don't believe it. All together, one, two, three. All, everybody, all campuses, one, two, three. If I spend more money than I make, I will go in debt, okay? How many of us used to sit in math class and go, I'll never use this when I grow up? <laughs> and you're not, <laughs> <laughs> right? This is basic math. It's based on reality, all right? all right? If I have more money going out than coming in, then I'm living beyond my means, and unless something changes, it's gonna get worse, not better, right? And the argument, well, if I made more money, I wouldn't have this problem. But it's, it's irrelevant, because right now, in reality, you don't have more money. I wish I did. Sorry, me too. You, you have the money that you have. So that's where we have to start, not if things would be different. I don't know. I hope things get different, but today they're not. You gotta start somewhere. So Michael does it with every person who comes in, including me, all right? We made a list of all my monthly sources of income, all right? And then we made a list of all my ongoing financial debts and commitments. And before long, it was obvious that list number two passed list number one long ago. So what am I supposed to do with it, Jim? You attack and reduce outgoing while also doing everything you can to increase incoming. That's all part of financial peace. This is what we had to do. I sold stuff on the side of the road so my kids could have Christmas. Because I went to war. 
right? And it, 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 pride is the only thing that would say, oh, no, don't do that, right? You'll look bad. No, 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 no. I already knew what was going on in my heart, okay? All right, number eight. Oh, gosh, here we go. Number eight. Don't buy now, pay later. Or stop it, anyway. Don't buy now, pay later. And that is connected to thou shalt not steal. And I know that sounds un-American, right? But remember this, all right? Some of you are just so nervous right now, like, oh, my whole life is buying up. Right? The definition of stealing, taking or using something for yourself that doesn't belong to you. Buy now, pay later is spending money that you don't have. All right? I heard this statistic, all right? Some of you are gonna feel really convicted right now. 80% of all tax refunds that you're counting on are spent before you receive them. Yeah, this is what I did, all right? You think you're gonna get this much money in your, so you put it on your credit card, all right? And then you either, when you get it, it's not what you thought it was gonna be, or you get it, but something else has come up and you wanna buy that, and so you put some of it on the credit card, but the payment stays the same and nothing changes. So spending money that you don't have is stealing, but beyond money, here's what I want Buy now, pay later is robbing you of something even more important, hope. And I can explain this, because when I learned this, I'm like, that explains so much. God has wired you and I, as people, we have to have hope, right? That this, is, this is one of the principles of our life. Look, this is Romans chapter eight. Look how many times Paul uses the word hope. And there's this timeless eternal truth in here. But, but look, look at this. He says, for in this hope, we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. We are wired to have hope. We are wired to look forward to something and then to wait patiently for it until we finally realize it. I'm gonna talk to parents again, right? As parents, one of our primary responsibilities is to teach our children this idea or concept, this is crazy, delayed gratification. It's this idea that if you work for something, when you patiently wait for something, when something doesn't come easy or quickly, or it's just handed to you, the reality is when it finally does come, there is greater joy and appreciation for the value and the, and the cost of that thing that we have been hoping for. And I could go off here for a long I did last night, but I cut it out for time. Listen, America is or was the wealthiest country in the history of the world, right? We're also the most in-debt nation on the planet. We're also the most depressed nation on the planet. And just so you know, the clinical definition of depression is a person who has lost all hope. See, hope means that we have something to look forward to because it's coming. But in America, we don't, we don't wait for anything. We just charge it. Listen, I, listen I, 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 like, I like toys. I like shiny stuff. I do, all right? I really do. There's nothing wrong with buying like, a big screen TV. I've got several at my house, all right? Your choices are you can save up for it and walk into Costco and purchase it for cash, hang it on the wall and watch, enjoy the game, or you can put it on a charge card, take it home, hang it on the wall, and stare at not the game, but I got a $300 payment due Tuesday. I have no idea how I'm gonna make it. And listen, I, I promise, all right? You, test me on this. Any, any commercial that's on your TV this week, or as you scroll through your, your social media feed, all right, here's, you will not find this. You will not find anybody that says this. Hey, here's our latest product. It's awesome. Save up for it. <laughs> and when you have enough money, we'll, we'll ship it to it. No, 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 no. Everything, everything you see around you all week long, all right, it was gonna be one of this. It says like, if you don't have the money today, no problem. Have we got a deal for you. Buy now, pay later. Don't miss this one-time offer. When it's gone, it's gone. You deserve to have the best. Time is limited. That's the most honest thing they've said. Because time is limited, and time will catch up with you and say, pay me. And you have to pay, okay? 
that was convicting. Commandment number nine. These are going fast, right? Be a good witness. You shall not give false testimony against your, your neighbor. This one's shortened to the point. Be a good witness. It means let you, what you do with your life and how you live your life and how you perform your job and how you act at school, all these things, right? And how you handle your money serve as a good witness. That means it's a statement to those around you. This is what Jesus is like and this is what he means to me. I'm gonna preach a little bit more here. Just because you slap one of those Christian fish things, symbols on your business card or website or vehicle, doesn't mean you represent Jesus well. I got a fish. How you do business and the quality that you do it and how you keep your word and interact with your clients and your customers, that is your witness about Jesus Christ. I'll be honest with you. Honestly, if I see a fish sticker on somebody's business card or advertisement, I probably won't call them. Because I don't want to have another hard conversation about a really bad job that they did that I'm supposed to overlook or accept because, hey, I'm a Christian brother. Can you overlook my crappy work? No. I'd rather hire a pagan who does it right. Right? Now, listen. Oh, that's going to get some emails. All right? So, I don't care. I, I don't. I, I'm old. I, I don't care. Right? So, Listen, Christians, because of our understanding of the grace that's been given to us, Christians, we should have the reputation of being the most generous people on the planet. When we go to a restaurant later today, maybe people who wait tables for us, they should be hoping, I hope I get a table full of Christians because their reputation is, is generous. By the way, that's not our reputation. You go on vacation, people who clean your hotel room should hope they get a Christian family there because they tip way above beyond normal. Clients who hire your company should hope it's run by Christian values because Christians have a reputation to over-deliver in all aspects, product quality, customer satisfaction. If your neighbor, your client, your coworker, your co-student, whatever that is, knows you're a Christian but sees you being unfair and cheap and selfish, that reflects on Jesus. The commandment is be a better witness. Be a good witness, all right? One more, okay? Then I'll let you out of here. Um, commandment number 10 says this, be content. You shall not covet your neighbor's house or anything that belongs to, to your neighbor. That's similar to number seven. I wanna look at that word covet because we don't use the word covet a lot. But surprisingly, it is one of, if not the number one marketing tools that rule our lives and our purchases. It's responsible for most of our debt and it is the root of much of our regret. Wish I hadn't done that. Covet means this, to have a disproportionate, it's like out of control, amount of desire to have something that, and that desire consumes us until we have it. And we all, know, we all can think of stuff like, it, it, it owned me until I had it, right? Paul writes about this in Colossians chapter three. He puts together two concepts that I never put together, and this will be a punch in the gut, and then we'll get out of here, but... Um, he says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And earthly in you, it, it's about value systems. There's a, the, the, the world runs as sexuality and, and, and money and all these parts by, by a different value system that we can't have it be a part of our life, all right? So, put to death, uh, therefore, what is earthly in you, like sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire. And look at this, right? Covetousness, which is the same as idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Paul equates idolatry, like I want that object because I think it's gonna do something for me. He's, in our world, it'd be this. You see something that your neighbor has. You see something in an advertisement. You see something from some celebrity influencer. That, that ought to be a clue. They're an influence. They're trying to influence you to do something. And they're wearing something. They're doing something. They're driving something. And you see that, you go, I, I, I need that. I didn't know it existed, but now I don't know if I can live without it. Right? I need that. And it becomes an idol when you equate having that and possessing that object with somehow I'll be better if I have that in my life. It will make my life better. I'm a better person. I'll be the kind of person other people admire and are envious if I have that in my life. And it doesn't stop there. Because not only do you make those things idols, whew, this is going to be hard. Ready? You make other people God. 
because you allow them to tell you what you need to buy instead of listening to God. Don't let other people tell you how to spend your money. Listen to God. Yeah. And then let's look at that last line again because it sounds kind of scary. When you turn possessions into idols and let other people tell you how to spend your money, Paul says this, on, a, on account of these things, the wrath of God is, is coming. And that sounds like a threat. As in, if you do these things, God's gonna get you. Right? But the truth is the wrath of God is, that's not, it's the natural result of living under a system that's different than what God says is right and true and leads to, it leads to loss and destruction. That's not God getting us. That's not God punishing us. That's not the wrath of God, all right? God, God doesn't have to, for us to experience the wrath of God, God doesn't have to do anything. It's simply us choosing to live our life apart from what God says is true, and then we experience the consequences of that life. Here's the wrath of God. Regret, debt, worry, anxiety, fear, jealousy, depression, loss of hope, slavery. God didn't do that to me. I put myself in a place, but that's just the natural result. And it's not what God wants for us. But it is what Satan, and I'm not saying that everything out there is satanic, so don't worry, right? But he uses it, a very cleverly designed marketing program run by huge corporations and influencers. That's what they want for you. And right now, if you have a phone in your pocket, you're being researched through AI algorithms to see where you're the most hungry, most insecure, most vulnerable. And when they figure that out, ding, there it is on your screen. You'll go like, I need that for my life to be whole. And you buy it, gotcha. Been there, done it. I'm done, okay, thank God. All right, uh, so, so a month ago we started this series and I started by saying this, I said, Satan doesn't want you to be here these four weeks. Remember that? Because he knows if you lean into two of those commandments, if you leaned into 10% of what you've learned from God, right, your life might move towards freedom, right? And he doesn't want you to be free. I had a great conversation with a young dad earlier this week and he said, here's, here's where we are right now, it's like, we're, we're doing our best. We're tithing, we're living on a budget, we're not being stupid, you know. And some, some ways, like, how are we gonna buy diapers? Going through the couch cushions, been there, done that, right? And I thought he wanted me like to solve like what he ought to do, and he says, but here's what we're hanging on to. And he goes to John chapter 10, and Jesus said this, okay? This is, you always are gonna be surrounded by robbers and thieves. Don't listen to them, All right? You've always... Everybody's come before me, robbers and thieves. Do not listen to me, them because the robber and thief doesn't want anything good for you. They want to steal, kill, and destroy. That's the only agenda. You hang on to me and I'm gonna take you to a place called abundant life. And so he, here's what this young couple knows. We know that as hard as our life is right now, if we were to let go of God and, and believe these robbers and thieves, it takes us to a really, really, really bad place. Here's what I want to say especially to young couples out here who are looking through your, cush, your couch cushions for lunch money and you know, we've, all, we've all been there. Don't give up. Your financial situation right now is not because you've been disobedient, but you gotta keep on being faithful even in this hardship because God says on the other side, I'll, I'll get you through it. I'll provide your needs. I will supply everything you need and it will be abundant, more abundant than if you let go of me and just go with the world. And take it for all of us who let go and went with the world He's telling us the truth, right? I don't want anybody walking out of here with shame or condemnation. I should have, I feel stupid, or I, I, I'm president of your club, okay? If you take whatever you are and lay it before God, lay it before you know, wise counselors, whatever that is, you will receive grace and mercy and healing. That's what we need. I also started this series by asking these questions. 
Even if you don't think it's possible for you, I want you to dream about this. What would your life look like if you lived your life by a code, by a perspective that everything belongs to God and I'm just, I'm gonna take care of it? A life where God has given first priority above everything else in my life. And I do that not as a law, but as an act of worship and appreciation because I understand what he's done for me. Where I live a life of generously sowing what God has entrusted to me and then seeing those seeds multiply and see people rescued from sex trafficking, to see people fed, to see people saved. Where I make decisions in all areas of my life, including money, knowing that more is at stake than just money. But money, according to Jesus, says that's just the obvious in your face one of what you're putting your faith and trust in. I've, I've had a lot of conversations this month. Uh, and the biggest feedback I've gotten over the last three weeks hasn't even been about money. And the campus pastors have told me they're having the same conversations in their campuses. That people are coming up and they're saying, listen, I'm looking at how I handle my finances. It's just one thing that reveals that there are a lot of things in my life I haven't surrendered to God. And I need to look at my whole life. Finance is just the first one. But it's not the last step in my life. All right, at all our campuses, let's stand up. I'm gonna pray. And here's the thing, we're not gonna sing. Um, and by that, it's like, uh, after I say amen, you're dismissed, but some of you might want to like, like, like the person you came with, if you do finances together, you might want to sit down and go like, financial peace, because it's going to be up there. The code's going to be up there. Or, um, hey, let's do that stack. Bills here, income here. Where, where, right? I don't know, right? Um, we, need to, we, need to, we need to tell our kids and you gotta have a plan. Don't just spring this at lunch. Uh, we're gonna do some stuff different moving into the next season of our life. Don't ambush them, okay? So I'm gonna pray, and then uh, you're dismissed at all your campuses, but if you wanna sit here for a while and have a conversation, or if you, uh, except we're long, and the kids' ministry hates me right now, so um, pray for their hearts. They're very hard, and uh, <laughs> they're not. They're great. Father God, in this moment right now, I just feel, um, well, I, I, I feel conviction, and I feel, um, I feel your presence, but I'm also reminded of all that shame and regret that I, I brought and embarrassment and, and I should have done it different and I'm so stupid and why did I? And, and like, you've never said anything to any one of us that even sounds remotely like that. You just say, well, come on, let, let's do things differently from now on. And it, it's not gonna be easy. It's not gonna be fast. It is gonna be worth it. Um. I pray for those, especially these young families out here, um, scraping by and trying to be faithful at the same time. L let them, whatever they're hold on to each other tight and hold on to you even tighter. And even in these hard times, somehow use that to, those are the times when we had more faith grow than ever before. And for any of us who look back, and I'm on this list of going like, I did it wrong. Help us to not just forgive ourselves, but accept your forgiveness and then say, from now on, I'm gonna put that part of my life in God's hands too. God, I love you so much. I love what you're doing in this place, in these families, in these individuals' lives. Can't wait to see what you're about to do. In Jesus' wonderful name I pray, amen, amen. You're dismissed. Thanks for joining us at Flatirons Church Online. We're so glad you chose to be with us today. Now listen, we are always adding brand new content. So please subscribe so you can stay up to date with all of it. And remember, we're streaming services every single Sunday. Now, if you'd like to continue to help us support the ministry of Flatirons Church of reaching a lost and broken world, please hit that give button and join in with all that God's doing here at Flatirons. 
We'll see you next week.